Welcome to the Friday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to talk about an article about coaching and the proper way to bring in hires for teams looking for coaches or GMs. I'm going to talk about the week 18, a wacky week 18, and the best bets for the weekend. And I'm also going to have the first installment of what will be a playoff and offseason series on teams and transition. What should they do this offseason? Starting with our Cleveland Browns. Let's get to it. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Friday edition here. Um, As I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be talking about a really good article that came out from Kevin Clark. So that's the first thing I'm going to talk about. This article from Kevin Clark and a lot of ideas in here that I've talked about, specifically when it comes to GMs in front office. And, you know, the the nerds are going to like this article. So um, I'll hit on it a bit and then just kind of direct you guys in in the way to go, get my own spin on it. So that'll be one thing there. Uh, before I do that, maybe we could talk a little bit of news-ish sort of stuff for the week. We don't have a lot of big news here for the week. Part of the news cycle is the chirping coming out of Cleveland with Baker Mayfield and whether or not he's going to demand a trade, which, eh, you know, not quite sure he's in the position to be making many demands, especially after that final Monday night performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I'll address that in my first installment of the offseason series on teams in transition. Uh, But before we get to that, the only one kind of news-ish sort of thing that I thought was interesting that came out is a little bit of a debate, maybe a little PFF on PFF crime that's been going on. Started with our own PFF underscore Steve, Steve Palazzolo, and he has been making the case for Tom Brady as the MVP. For those who don't follow all of the numbers here, Tom Brady is the second highest graded quarterback, not the highest graded quarterback, but the second highest graded graded quarterback, but he is leading in our war metric, our wins above replacement metric, which is based upon our grades and the volume of plays that players have for different facets, what we call facets of their game, passing, rushing, pass blocking, receiving, coverage, and so on. So the most valuable facet of the game, of course, is passing, is quarterbacking. And because Brady has such higher volume than Joe Burrow this year, Joe Burrow on a per rate basis, he has the highest grade above Tom Brady, but Brady has many, many more plays this year. Not only has he been in a more pass-dominant offense, where Burrow's offense has not been that pass-dominant all year long, Uh, not only has he played every game, so he has more plays than someone like Aaron Rodgers, who hasn't been playing every game, but the Bucs also play at a quick pace. So that ends up giving him some advantages in some of these aggregate stats that bring volume into measure. So, um, but the main thrust of Steve's article was certain plays that we're going to grade on. Of course, things like a tipped pass or a drop that leads to an interception. We are not going to ding Tom Brady for that. Whereas if you're looking at EPA per play type of metric, that will show up as a negative that'll get assigned to the quarterback. There are fumbles after the catch. Now I, I take these out of the EPA metrics, but just your standard EPA metric is not going to make an adjustment for that. There can be fumbles that the quarterback does not recover, but one of his offensive line recovers. And then you have another, so it's not that negative of a play. And then you have another play where the quarterback fumbles. And instead of his offensive lineman recovering it, a defensive lineman recovers it. And it's a hugely negative play. So those two plays would be graded equally according to our grades, as opposed to the EPA per play. Now, the reason that I think Aaron Rodgers is still the top quarterback this year, and if you're looking at MVP markets, he's the guy in MVP markets. He's minus 400, and that's probably underselling him a little bit. Um, An 80% win probability right now for, for MVP. 
the reason he's the guy is that he has been the most efficient according to these metrics. And I think that comes through in his play. But what Steve would say is, well, we're influenced by the fact that Brady is throwing these interceptions, if not in the fact that we see them on the stat sheet, but also in the fact that it affects the team performance, which then lowers our feelings about the team. Let's face it, the Bucs have had a lot of close games this year. They've They've won some, they've lost some. And so have the Packers, but the Packers have come out mostly on top. The Packers have the number one seed. Well, how will we feel if some of the tipped or drops that led to interceptions for Tom Brady didn't happen and they had an extra victory and they were headed for the number one seed? Would Tom Brady be the MVP choice? Things like that. So it's always difficult in the MVP discussion is like, do we look at this process-based thing or do we look at what actually happened? I think it's fair to look at what actually happened a little bit more for something like MVP. Because if you start to look into too much of, well, what if this, what if that, what if the receiver didn't drop the ball, what if this didn't happen, you can go further and further down a slippery slope type of argument. And there's just only so much information that you can process as part of that uh, discussion. But I do think grading and EPA coming together have always been the best measure. And when I've done that, and I also weigh that based upon samples, so I give a little bit less credit to the outperformance of Aaron Rodgers, who has in the neighborhood of 80 fewer dropbacks than Tom Brady. When I do that, Rodgers still gets up there because he's number one in EPA per play. And now he's up the third, I believe, or fourth in grading depending upon whether you're looking at just passing grade or his overall offensive grade. Whereas Brady is second in grading, but then down seventh, eighth in EPA. So I think it's an interesting discussion. I mean, I would say that what our grading is really good at, and I think there is a lot of good to what Steve is saying in his points. I think uh, Timo Risque has some analysis where he adds back drops to your per play efficiency, assuming all those drops are caught. I do think there's a little bit of an issue with that because drops are never 100% should have been caught. I watch a lot of the, you know, I'm grinding film over here, watching the All-22, and I'll tell you that drops sometimes can be 100% they should have been caught. Sometimes they're more like 55% they should have been caught. And in the same way, sometimes there are plays that are 40% should have been caught that don't get put as drops. Uh, that that wouldn't be affected by his analysis. But when he gives 100% full credit back for drops, then even the EPA per play efficiency looks very similar between Rodgers and Brady. And then Brady having a higher grade, maybe that means you could lean towards Brady. So I do think there are ways to lean towards Brady, but I wouldn't go as far as Steve goes in besmirching, throwing uh, um, quotes around advanced stats. He threw quotes on advanced stats talking about EPA because what EPA does better than anything else, even if it's not being tracked by a grader, even if you're not making all these adjustments that come into our grades, what it's going to do better than anything else is it's going to calibrate value, play value. The fact that you are looking at each play on a point-by-point basis so you can know exactly if having a a seven-yard sack on third and six on the 35-yard line, which knocks you out of field position, field goal position, you can know exactly how much that was worth versus, you know, first and 10, and you lose six yards on a sack, but you're still on your own side of the field, and it doesn't make nearly as big of a difference in that type of play. Or you can see exactly how damaging an interception is if you're taking too much risk on first down as opposed to taking a lot of risk on third and long, where it's not as damaging, and you should be um, more aggressive. Now, the way our grading is going to look at these plays is they're not going to bring that context into play. They're going to grade the plays on a scale of negative two to two with half point increments. So it can go from negative two to negative 1.5 to negative one to negative 0.5 and so on. Um, and the vast majority of our plays, they're just not going to be calibrated in the same way, in this exact way that EPA is. We're going to give the majority of plays a zero And then we're going to give 0.5s in either direction when it's a good play or a poor play and mostly throws we're talking about here. And then we're going to give a plus one or higher for a big time throw or a negative one or lower for a turnover worthy play. And the calibration of how much these are worth is just going to be different for our grades. It's not going to have the same effect as it would for EPA per play because 
when we grade something as a one versus a 0.5, those plays are not worth twice as much, according to a, um, according to EPA. We're giving twice as much credit for grading, but they're not worth twice as much. So sometimes making standard plays, which may be a zero, which may be a 0.5, sometimes making those standard plays, if you do so in a routine manner, in a consistent manner, will give you less credit for grading than it will for EPA. And that's why I like to bridge the gap there. Uh, on the flip side, something like taking sacks. And again, Joe Burrow has the number one PFF grade right now. And he also has one of the highest sack rates in the NFL. The second highest, according to the most recent numbers there. Right with someone like um, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. He's taking a ton of sacks. And we only grade sacks negatively 20, 30% of the time. But as the mantra goes, the Atlantic's mantra goes, sacks are a QB stat. QBs control sacks much, much more than that. So I think that is a place where we're losing some of the gradation. The fact that we're giving zeros on so many of these sacks where at the very least they're partially the responsibility of the quarterback, but even more so they should probably be much more a part of the equation. So again, I'm here to bring, let's bring us all together. Let's bring EPA together Let's, let's see the value of that. Let's see the value of the grading. Let's use it all together to come up with rankings. That's what I do on my weekly quarterback ranking piece, which has Rodgers slightly edging out Brady, followed by Burrow, despite the fact that Burrow has the highest grade. And just so you know, after that, Herbert and Josh Allen and uh, my man, Patrick Mahomes, who's up there in EPA, is all the way down at eighth because his grading has been so poor, poor this year. So just to quick start off to say, let, let's get together here on the analytics side to be useful for all measures. Let's, let's look at all measures and use them all for what they are worth. Um, okay, now I'm going to get into an article by Kevin Clark. It's called The NFL Keeps Failing Hiring 101. I thought this was a really interesting article. I don't want to quote everything out of here, but it really started off by saying how when Bill Walsh was talking about NFL organizations decades ago, he was saying there's really one central figure inside of organizations that dominates the decision making. And that hasn't really changed a lot, especially recently when you've seen the hire of maybe Urban Meyer, even Matt Rule in um, Carolina, when Kyle Shanahan was hired for in San Francisco. Um, I'm not sure if Mike McCarthy would be quite on that level in Dallas, but there are a bunch of guys who are brought in who have this cachet, who have a pedigree, who end up dominating an entire organization. It's just a weird way to run things when consensus can help build better decisions. So the main gentleman who's interviewed in this is Mike Ford, who runs a company called Sportsology. And it advises multiple NFL teams on their hiring decisions and structures. Also, he's been called the NBA GM kingmaker because he has influence inside of basketball. He's a former executive at the Chelsea Football Club. So one of the big things that he's talking about here is I would say that the main headline points are, number one, lots of big decisions are made in a short amount of time when it comes to the NFL season. The cycle between firing and hiring, because you need to bring people in and be ready for the free agency period, which is coming after the Super Bowl, which is really kicks in in March, doesn't give you a whole lot of time to figure things out. So teams use these heuristics that don't necessarily put them in the best decision. The first heuristic is the most important thing in results is who your players are. The players drive things, right? But there's also a high degree of luck in the NFL draft. So often what teams are doing is they're trying to, you know, gain some of this luck. They don't think of it as luck. They think of it as skill that these teams have had such success. And they're going to say, let me get a scout, the number two guy in personnel behind a successful franchise, bring them in, you know, they'll spread their magic drafting free agency fairy dust all over the organization and then will end up being successful. But that doesn't end up being the case the most of the time. So hiring so far in the NFL for the 57 general managers have been hired since 2010, 75% of them were former NFL scouts and 70% of them came from a team that made it to a Super Bowl while, while they were there. But what the data has shown that he's looked at that this uh, Ford has looked at, Mike Ford, is that guys who end up having a different 
pedigree, salary cap guys, f- football operation guys, people who did not come fully through the traditional scouting framework have had more success, whether it's Mickey Loomis in New Orleans, uh, Buffalo with Brandon Bean, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia have statistically had more success. Unfortunately, my man back here, Sashi, Sashi Brown, RIP, he was also from a salary cap place and, you know, laid the groundwork for the Browns there, at least. Not very successful in the results. Um, so he, he says often what happens is, you know, past success doesn't guarantee future success. There are these lucky things that happen sometimes. A lot of times it's a gr- just having a great quarterback, which can mask a lot of bad decisions that are made in these franchises, but yet people still want to hire these guys and bring them in. And the last thing he talks about is, is non-football people and bringing in an outside perspective. I think when you read uh, books out there, like Range is a good book, others are good books, where we talk about you know, bringing in experiences, bringing in knowledge, uh, super forecasters is another one, bringing in an idea of how to work with complicated systems like an NFL team. Sometimes that can be a lot more important than knowing the nuts and bolts of scouting. This is different than coaching, right? So you're not going to bring in a head coach who doesn't have head coaching experience because they're a good manager, because you need to have that coaching element much more there than you do for a GM. And these, these GMs, they have scouts full of, you know, ten, different roles there. They have 10 different scouts working for them, yet we seem to perceive the GM as being the ultimate decider, to use the terminology of uh, George W. Bush, the ultimate decider is if they're putting the stamp on every single one of these picks, at least the high-value picks and the high-value free agents. They're doing the ultimate evaluation and that if a GM's not successful, especially if they're not a scout, they're given less leeway and it said, well, they don't know how to evaluate players. And that's the problem. I mean, you have a team full of people to evaluate players. Why should one person be fully responsible for the evaluation? It's almost like there's an ultimate veto power and ultimate authority assigned to one person. And then you're wasting the skills of everyone else around them. So the the data backs up though, what we're saying about bringing these other people and these organizations. So I thought this very interesting article again, um, it was coaching carousel, avoiding mistakes. You found it under that title or the NFL keeps failing hiring one one by Kevin Clark at the ringer. Okay. Before we get to the Cleveland Browns and the teams in transition, I want to hit a few sponsors here, at least well, two sponsors here. First unexpected promo code unexpected. If you want to get any of the information from the PFF website, subscription information, locked article content. Free agency and the draft is coming. I look at the big board as part of my analysis for what the Browns should do this offseason. We got our big board up. We got our draft, our initial draft guide up. Mike Renner and the team there have been grinding on this throughout the entire college season. They're going to be way ahead of everyone else. Way better ideas of positional value built into these rankings. I'm going to talk about wide receivers a lot because of that when it comes to the Browns. Oh, that's going to be available. And through the playoffs here, you know, NFL Green Line, which has been had a very successful season in college and NFL, and also props packages that we come through on our best bets tool for you. So you can get all that with promo code UNEXPECTED, plus show some love for the pod, 25% off. Second promo code here, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Set your New Year's resolution with good intentions. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com. Use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use code PFF. It's the new year, no pubes. New year, no pubes. That's, that's quite a mantra. In 2022 with Manscaped. A little pubes is probably all right. Let's, let's be honest here. Uh, let's, we're, we're not a binary. It doesn't have to be a binary thing. Uh, okay, let's get into teams in transition. Cleveland Browns. I start with the Browns here because I don't have to do as much homework, quite honestly, to figure out what's going on with them. I've been following the Browns intensely since the 2016 season when... Our savior, Sashi Brown, was brought in along with Paul D. Podesta, who still roams the halls in Berea there. And this is a tough year for Browns fans. Every fan base lives and dies by the team, but Cleveland is, despite the NBA championship brought there by local hero LeBron James, Cleveland is a football town. And the Browns are the thing. And the Browns 
were one of the least successful, if not the least successful franchise in the NFL through many years until a ray of hope came in the form of Baker Mayfield in 2018 as the number one pick. And Denzel Ward as the number four pick. And Miles Garrett rounding around as the number one pick the prior year. And ended up that season, I believe, going six, no, going seven, eight, and one, I believe. And then the next season falling back, but then having a bounce back season last year, which included even moving on with a playoff victory, losing an exciting game to the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Browns, people were very excited about what they're going to do this year under Kevin Stefanski. Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski. Baker Mayfield, the best year of his career last year. Um, adding pieces like Jadeveon Clowney to the front. Miles Garrett being a front runner for defensive player of the year. Nailing draft after draft with Andrew Barry brought in there. Everyone was very excited. And of course, we had a disappointing end to the season. And now we're already getting news stories out here from Mary Kay Cabot at the, is it the Cleveland Plain Dealer? Cleveland.com, at least, is the website, discussing how Baker Mayfield's upset with Kevin Stefanski and his play calling, and if that doesn't change around or get better, he may demand a trade, and then Baker Mayfield comes out and saying that it's clickbait garbage and so on and so forth. I don't want to get too much into the back and forth there, but I will say is I did not I did think that Kevin Stefanski did a good job by basically defending Baker in postseason press conferences when they're asked about, well, not postseason, I should say, post-game after last week, talking about his injury and everything else that was going on. He's not going to play this week, of course. Saying that his relationship with Baker is a work in progress, like all relationships are with different players but he thought he said it was extremely unfair to put too much blame and frustration and blame on any one player so he was he kind of went out of his way to to work with baker there and i think a lot of people are pointing this to saying baker's gone baker's out of there i mean number one if you're a smart franchise which i believe the browns are you don't make rash decisions despite the fact that the noise level gets so so high in the nfl you don't make rash decisions. You realize there's such a cycle of up and down to every team season normally. And there's such a cycle to every offseason where you can go from despair to joy and anticip- and you know celebratory anticipation back to despair again once the season starts. So you never want to react too much to what happened just the last week, the last handful of weeks, the last season even. So I think that's first. Second is, while Baker Mayfield may not be the perfect quarterback, he was, he did play like a top 10 quarterback last year when the pieces were in place in the offensive line, when he was healthy, and that can happen again. So you don't just toss that aside without a backup plan. At the same time, a smart team looks to figure out what is that backup plan is going gonna, is gonna to be. A smart team looks at every position, including the quarterback, and if they're not set at that position, which very, very few teams are in the NFL. Most teams think they're set, but they're not at the quarterback position. Very few teams are set at that position. If you're not set there, and the Browns are certainly not set, you do look hard at what you can do to upgrade at that position or bring in competition whether it be free agency, whether it be via the trade, whether it be via the draft. So I'm sure the Browns be looking at all of those avenues there. But you, again, you do so in an opportunistic, in a measured manner. You don't do it in a, you know, Carolina Panthers manner where you're, you're, you're reaching for Bridgewater and then you're reaching for Sam Darnold and then you're reaching for Cam Newton. And now this season, I'm sure they'll do try to do something crazy to bring in another quarterback. You want to be measured to what you're doing. And Baker on the fifth year option gives you at least a floor there. You don't, you're not forced to trade any Baker Mayfield. He doesn't have that type of cachet and he doesn't have that type of leverage over you, quite honestly. To, to force that type of deal here because he doesn't have that much of a market value at this point. So that's, that's kind of the broad thing when it comes to Baker Mayfield. But before 
we talk a little bit more about the exact quarterback position, let's just step back and look at a macro view of the Cleveland Browns. So the state of the team. What they have been able to do in this rebuild from 2016, really, where they completely stripped it down to the studs and built it back up, is built around the quarterback. If you look at the numbers here, by EPA per play, so expected points added per, per play, the best efficiency metric out there, they had the second best run offense in the NFL. They obviously have that offensive line. They have both guards, Teller and Betonio signed. They have Conklin signed on the outside. They have Wills on the outside. They have Treader for another season. Not sure they're necessarily going to, they might look to save in cap space there, but at least they have that foundation locked in. Second in the NFL in their running efficiency. Now, they're only 17th in success rate, and part of that is because defenses in the second half of the season were really playing the run, which made sustained run success difficult, but they were still able to break big plays, which brought them up to second in in efficiency despite having a middling success rate. Now, the other part there, before we get into the passing game, the other part there is the defense. By, again, Jadamian Clowney coming in, Garrett taking a step up, uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa playing well, you know, the safeties are rebuilt, um, the outside with having not only, I mean, they brought in John Johnson at safety, it was a big free agent pickup, they got Troy Hill, was a big free agent pickup, they have Denzel Ward there, Greedy Williams has played, was another early second round pick. Uh, Greg Newsom was another pick last year. I think this defense has gotten so much deeper and so much better and so much faster and so much younger that they were sixth in defensive success rate, which is the most stable metric this year. Sixth best defense as far as the percentage of plays that were positive expected points added for their opponents. 16th in EPA per play, though, because they had some troubles on third down. And some of that is noise. Some of that is probably they need to play a little bit better, have a little fewer blown coverages. And I think as the back end ages and gels, that they can get that together. They were third as far as dropback success rate. So stopping the other team's passing attacks, the most important thing in the NFL. So that's still going to be there going forward. And that's and that's very important. Okay. So they have that foundation. They don't have the greatest receiver group, and that's I'll talk about that, how they can help upgrade that in a second, because that's going to be key to helping Baker or helping whoever they bring in. But beyond that, they have so many good pieces, and we've seen receiver groups on one or two picks, one or two free agent acquisitions can really turn things around. So I think generally they're in a good place. The cap space right now, the projection – um, for 2022 is 36 million in cap space. So not bad at all, not at the very top, but not one of these teams like the saints who are in cap hell for another season next year. And they can also save some more money. They can save 15 million, only one and a half million dead money cutting Jarvis Landry. And I think we may have come to the end of the road, uh, for Jarvis, who's been a great, great player there, uh, great consistent option. But like I said, I think if you can save $15 million and reinvest that either in extending guys like Denzel Ward or bringing in opportunistic defensive pieces like they've done with Clowney and others, probably a better use of that money while you search for a longer-term option going forward at receiver. So there, Austin Hooper, I think he probably gets a post-June 1st release where because if you keep them on for another year, there's still going to be $7.5 million in dead money if you cut them before 2023. So for that reason, even though you're taking a big hit here, you're taking like a $9.5 million cap hit, you can spread that out over a couple of years. And it's almost like ripping the bandy at this point there. I think that was an unsuccessful signing there. A little too much for Hooper. Hasn't really gelled that well with Baker Mayfield this last season. Disappointing year for Hooper there. Now, Njoku, their other tight end, is done with his fifth-year option. So he's a free agent, so they could use some of that money potentially to sign him. They have Harrison Bryant, or they could look at free agency somewhere else there. 
Um, but again, that's going to that's gonna have a couple more million in savings. So another 2 million added to Jarvis Landry's 15 million. Uh, they could move on from J.C. Treader, the center. They save about 8 million in cap space and they drafted Nick Harris, who is a pick I think they liked, although it was a fifth round pick in 2020, where if they want to get some value out of Harris, um, now's probably the time to do it in his third year of his four-year rookie contract, or else you're not going to see it there. I think they love what they have going on in the interior, so maybe they'll, they'll go, go ahead and keep Treader. But if you can save $8 million, let Harris step in, make another draft pick to have some depth there in the interior, they might do that. Harris did also play a game when Treader had to sit this year, and he looked okay. Uh, and then lastly, Case Keenum. I think Case Keenum, if you're in the market for a Baker Mayfield as our starter, Case Keenum is our strong backup type of structure. Case Keenum made sense making a lot of money. But now if you're in the market of bringing in competition for Baker Mayfield, who's going to be making $19 million, I don't know if you want to keep Case Keenum making $8 million something. You can save $6.5 million cutting Case Keenum. I think that's another area you can go there. So all in all, they can free up another $30-plus million making those cuts there. Uh, like I mentioned before, Jimmy Clowney is not under contract. Neither is Malik Jackson or David Njoku. So those are guys they could think about bringing back. And the wide receiver issues. Rashard Higgins, he is also a free agent. So what they're going to have, if they cut Landry, what they'll have is Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz going into his second season, uh, Demetri Felton going into his second season, who's the running back slash wide receiver, and that's it. But you have those guys for less than $3 million. So you have free agency and the draft potentially spend more there. Um, and again, you have the whole entire offensive line under contract. And you have a lot of the pieces in the back end under contract. So let's talk about the wide receiver position, what we're going to do. Actually, first, let's talk about Baker and Stefanski. So I, I went over this whole thing about how I think they should approach Baker is be opportunistic, look for someone else. Um, but I think for Stefanski, I think he's very, very solid. I know people have started to pick on his play calling. He's passing the ball too much, everything else there. If you look at his numbers for passing versus expectation, expectations based upon down, distance, field position, time remaining, score differential, they only had a couple of games in the back half of the season where they were over expectation. They were still under expectation. And, you know, it's really, really hard to maintain a running game if you're having that little success passing the ball and maintain a running game where, again, their success rate was very, very low running the ball to maintain additional rushes when you're not having a high success rate. If you have an explosive running game where you're gaining 20 yards and then you're getting one, one, one yard, well, guess what? You're going to have to end up punting the ball a lot of time there. You get touchdowns or you punt the ball. So you can't really sustain it there. And the defenses, of course, were keying on it heavily. So they were still... 4% under expectation as far as their drop back rate, their passing rate for the second half of the season. And the one area they were really, really over expectation was passing on second and one or two yards to go. And I think that is a great time to pass the ball. I'm always frustrated with teams who do not pass the ball enough in that situation because you're still very likely to convert on those plays. It's the highest expected point down in distance that you can have is right at second and one. It's better than first and 10 being in second and one, the points you're expected to, to eventually score on that drive because you can take these huge plays because you can throw away a down essentially and still be in third and one and have one or two downs to end up converting. So Stefanski is very high in that situation. But that's a very, very good idea to be high in that situation. In my opinion, especially when you have trouble generating explosive plays, use that down in distance to, to get your explosive plays. Can't be upset about that at all. And again, if you can't pass the ball well, you're stuck in third and long, you're stuck in second and long, and those are the worst possible places to run the ball, so you're forced to pass there. Um, so does Baker Mayfield need to be replaced? Let me just give you some more background on his numbers here. So when he came into the league, even though his numbers don't look that great, but he was 10th in grading as a rookie, which people got excited. He fell to 16th in 2019. He went, he was as good as eighth in 2020. So when he had that great season with Stefanski, remember all this talk about, they need a whole different play car. Well, that's the best he's done. It was better than his rookie season. 
much better from an efficiency perspective. He was ninth in EPA per play as opposed to 20th in his rookie season. And then 2021, he's fallen to 23rd each. Um, and if you look at his splits, the problem with Baker here and the reason that you're getting this play where if everything works around him like it did in 2020, you can get high-end play. But when things are not falling apart around him, whether it be injuries to himself, injuries to the offensive line, injuries to the wide receivers, things fall apart, is that he has this dichotomy where, like if you look at last season, he was 17th in his expected points added per drop back from a clean pocket. When you look pressured, it falls all the way to 29th, dead last amongst quarterbacks who had at least 400 dropbacks. So middle of the road quarterback, clean pocket, dead last quarterback when pressured. Pressured play is unstable, but this is not the first time this has happened during, during his career. If you look at his expected points added using play action, this season he was seventh in the NFL. But then it falls all the way down closer to 20th without play action. Again, it's weird to say, I don't like the Stefanski system. Maybe he wants to be running more empty or other things that he wants to do, but he performs a lot better with play action relative to other quarterbacks. He has so far. So I still think this Stefanski is the right guy for him if they can get back and get things moving. But it also shows a reliance by the quarterback on making things easier, essentially, with play action. And then if you look at early downs, first and second down performance versus third and fourth down performance, third and fourth down performance is when teams know you're going to pass and you got to make a play as a quarterback. Early down, expected points added, Baker was fifth. Great number, fifth in the NFL in his EPA per drop back, goes down to 25th on late downs. So just problems galore there. And that type of quarterback just screams game manager, screams quarterback purgatory, which is a place you can spend time, a place you don't necessarily want to make rash decisions to get out of, but not where you want to sustain yourself and be forever. So what are their options this year? Let's, let's talk about the draft first. Currently, the Browns are 13th in the draft order if the season ended today. They are at the bottom of a handful of teams who are also um, seven and nine. So they're they're last. They lose all the different tiebreakers there. Behind the Falcons are tenth at seven and seven and nine, and then Denver, Minnesota, and then Cleveland's there. You have three teams at six and ten. So they could, and then you have a few teams at eight and eight. So depending upon what happens this last weekend, again, playing against Brandon Allen, Case Keenum versus Brandon Allen, which makes the the Browns a a decent favorite here, they're probably going to end up around the 15th spot. 13th now, they'll probably end up somewhere in the neighborhood of the 15th spot, I think is is good. I don't think they're going to get up to the 10th spot or anything like that with a loss here and all those other teams winning. So assuming they're in the middle of the first round, it's not the greatest spot. You can maybe trade up to get a quarterback if you need to. But again, this is not the greatest quarterback draft. I mean, I'm going to be looking more and more into the draft prospects as the season goes along, but just to use our PFF big board and the work that Mike Renner has done there, currently he is mocking, his latest mock draft had Sam Howell at ninth going to the Washington football team, Matt Corral at 11th going to the Broncos and the Panthers, Giants, Texans, and Lions are because the Texans and Lions are all the way up at three and four. So maybe they're drafting a little too high to consider a quarterback in this type of class. But all those teams are up there too. So there could be a little bit of a rush. Like again, like I said, the Panthers are desperate. Uh, the Giants, maybe they're going to stick with Daniel Jones. Texans and Lions, I'm not sure what's going to go on. You got the Washington football team, you got the Broncos, a couple of teams where, you know, if they don't win any of the free agency contests to get a quarterback, they're going to be looking for a guy there. So you might have to make a rash move as the Browns to get up above them to get one of these top, top quarterbacks. And I'm not sure that's a move they should make, especially because we have them mocked to take the number one wide receiver in the class. So we think it's going to last until 13th at this point, at least eighth on our big board. So we have a relatively better ranking on the wide receivers than the quarterbacks. We have the quarterbacks ranked more like middle first round, late first round picks, even though they're going we have them mocking to go much earlier here. So wide receiver seems like a little bit of a better value p- play for the Browns. Obviously a huge need for the Browns. So number one, we have Garrett Wilson. And that's who's being mocked to the Brown at thir- Browns at 13th. And he's eighth on the big board. 
there's also other names right around there. Jameson Williams of Alabama. Um, there is Chris Olave, uh, Drake London from USC. So all these guys are there. So I think the Browns are definitely going to be able to be patient, sit at 13th or 15th or 16th or wherever they're going to be and get a top, top wide receiver there. They're probably their number one position of need. And then also think about the quarterback, whether it's in the second round, the third round, take more of a speculative look at somebody or free agency or trade. So let's talk about the trading and the free agency here, because that's where a lot of the talk is going to be in the the early season. The big picture here is that, again, don't want to sell out the franchise. And you also have to realize you can't just get whoever you want by outbidding. Russell Wilson, no trade clause. Aaron Rodgers, they're not going to just send him anywhere. In matter of fact, it's looking more and more like he's content in Green Bay. And, you know, there could be a blow up if they lose in the divisional round or they lose in the NFC championship game again at home. There could be a blow up there, but it's looking more and more like he may spend the rest of his time in Green Bay the way they've stuck by him, especially with some turmoil this season. You know, do you look to trade for Kirk Cousins? I don't know. It's a lot of, it's a $35 million contract you're taking on your books. In addition to the Baker Mayfield contract, are they going to want to take Baker's 20 million? If you can make that trade and 35 million for Cousins and pay an extra, you know, 15, 16 million versus Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad deal necessarily. You have Jimmy Garoppolo, again, a $25 million contract. Are you going to, you're not going to be able to necessarily package Baker Mayfield in that deal. Um, Are teams going to respect where players want to go necessarily? Uh, Russell Wilson, the talk is he wants to go to New York or he wants to go to Chicago or he wants to go with one of these teams. He doesn't want to go to Cleveland, even though I think he would be a great, great option. I would pursue all of these guys, potentially, even Garoppolo. I know people don't like Garoppolo, but guess what? You know, he's third in the NFL this season in EPA per play. He has been a souped up version of what Baker Mayfield has done as far as being able to play with a good surroundings. and. Even over a longer period of time, you know, in yards per attempt, he's been number one, I believe, over the last several seasons. He has mistakes. He makes mistakes. There's no doubt about that. But he gives you a little bit higher end execution with, you know, you don't have to worry about the clutching with him. He just fires it right into windows. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes he shouldn't, but he does it and he executes a little bit better. So I can see why he'd be somewhat attractive. Also, if you could get him. Maybe with a little bit of a, you know, knock a few dollars off of his contract, too. Now, when we're talking free agency, I do think there are two interesting options out there. Both of them I would look hard at if I were the Browns and decide how much it's going to cost. How much do you want to promise them as far as being the starter, potentially? And then those are 2015 mates, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Now, I can know why neither of these guys may be the most inspiring names for some to look at, but the reality is that both of them are names with potential. Winston was one of the best players this season in his efficiency just a fact. You know, we may not like it necessarily, but it is what happened. He showed promise and so did Mariota. Mariota showed a lot of promise early in his career. And Mariota also brings a little bit of that athletic element. Now, I know it's weird to say that Mariota could have a Ryan Tannehill-like turnaround here, in Cleveland with everything around him being that, you know, he was the one who was in Tennessee and it didn't work for him and it did work for, for Tannehill. But at the very least, he's someone who played on a $3.5 million contract last year. You could at least bring him in, I think for competition with upside, a former number two overall pick. Uh, Again, someone who started their career pretty well, someone who was playing at a league average type of efficiency and was grading at a league average type of rate early in their career. You know, beggars can't be choosers sometimes. So I know that 
Mariota flamed out quite significantly. But again, if you look at the first several handful years that he had here, much, much better than the down seasons here. He had four pretty good seasons to start his career. And if you look at the grading there, I mean, it's not great, 62, 67, 76, 77. But the 76, 77, you know, he also had progression there going into 2018 before things fell down in 2019. So he's a very cheap option. And again, for someone like Jameis Winston, you know, no one's going to get excited about him. But again, EPA per play, positive every single year of his career that he's played. It's been positive. Best year by far he just came off of. So maybe they'll want to bring him back to New Orleans because of that. Best year by far that he just came off of. And again, his grading, 67, 72, 73, 70, 68, and this last year, 74. Giving you more stability in a way than what you've gotten from Baker Mayfield and probably more upside there too if you're willing to accept some of the downside. So those are also options if you want to look at someone who probably has a better chance of hitting a ceiling type of outcome, especially if you build things around them. Uh, but if you don't want to do that and you want to keep Mayfield, that's fine too. But then you got to bring someone in in the draft, whether it be in that first round pick, you reach for someone or second round or third round. But I think the big picture is the Browns is you have everything else going for you. Now you just got to get that quarterback pick right while being patient. But for Brown fans out there, concentrate on that those facts. The talent that you have on defense, the talent you have on the offensive line, the talent you have in the backfield. Wide receiver is pretty plentiful to be able to find those guys, especially in the first round, the, the middle or late first round that we've seen recently. And you have the cap space to look at someone at quarterback. I think 2022 is going to be a much more successful year for the Browns for those reasons. All right, before we get into the best bets for the weekend, let me just say here, DraftKings, we've hit the final week of the pro football regular season. College football is heading into the national championship. DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to get fans in on all the action there. Bet just $5 on any football team to win their game, and you can win $200 in free bets. Let's wind down the season with a big win. Sportsbook isn't available in your state. You can find winners with daily fantasy contests, free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with your first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any team, college or pro, to win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And lastly, Western and Southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking questions, asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2020. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. And if you're watching the YouTube channel, check out the link in the description below. Well, Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. So this is a weird week to think about best bets because we don't know who's playing. We don't know how long they're playing for. We hear coach speak here, which can be reliable or not reliable. And you have a number of teams that are maybe playing for something. You have a number of teams who are playing for not to get into the playoffs or not, but playing for seeding potentially. Those are the ones that I want to focus on the most because what we're seeing in the numbers that are coming out is that there seems to be additional juice built into the teams that are potentially playing for something. Like, let's say the Kansas City Chiefs are maybe playing for the number one seed. We seem to be giving them a little bit more credit than the teams they're playing against who have nothing. They got nothing to play for the teams they're playing against. They've been out of the playoffs, but in a lot of ways, those teams have less incentive to throttle down during these games. Less incentive to do that. 
than a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, where if things are not going so hot, they might throttle down a bit. If you're getting 100% effort from these teams who were already out of the playoffs, who've been out of the playoffs, who are still starting all their guys, you know, you're not going to get 110% effort from the Chiefs, but you do have the potential to get 90% effort or 80% effort if they feel like they're not going to be able to win the game and they know the Chiefs are <coughs> up by a billion points against the Houston Texans. So those are the games that I'm most interested in looking at here and potentially betting against those teams who have a little something to play for. So there are four main games here. One is the Miami Dolphins against the New England Patriots. So I do think the Patriots are going to play pretty pretty hard in this one. They always do. But my numbers like the this game anyway, even if it's straight up. Six and a half points are getting the Miami Dolphins at home. I know they just got crushed against Tennessee in bad weather. But this Dolphins team is probably still a little better than we give them credit for. And I think they're going to be able to perform well in this game. And again, New England could throttle down in this game, even if you don't think it's necessarily going to happen. We have the Seattle Seahawks, similar circumstance against the Arizona Cardinals, who could be playing for the division if they win and the Rams lose to the 49ers. But I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Again, six and a half points you're getting from a Seahawks team that put up a 50-burger against the Lions, but still put up a 50-burger last week. Russell Wilson is still playing to impress right now going into the offseason. The other one, Denver Broncos, 11 and a half. This is a big, big number. I know it's Drew Locke, but still, you're getting 11 and a half points at home against the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm not sure Kansas City really thinks they can get that number one seed. So if you can get that big of a line against Drew Locke, who's been bad but not god-awful, not nearly as god-awful as I thought, I think that's a good place to go. And then last... And this is BetMGM. You can get a little extra hook on here, extra 16 and a half points. That's talking about huge numbers. Is the New York Jets at the Buffalo Bills, 16 and a half points. Now, the weather's awful up there. Maybe Wilson will just flub everything, but they're clearly trying. They almost beat the Bucks last week. The Bills are another team where, yeah, they want to win. They want to get that home field advantage, but you never know when they'll throttle down. Are they really going to keep the throttle on 100%? to ensure a 16-point or 17-point, if you have the 16.5 points, 17-point victory. Seems like you can get a little something on that, a little bit of value. And those are the ones that I'm going to play based on that thematic thing because other than that, it's really tough to find two games you know everyone's playing where my numbers match up and say you have some value there. Again, this is for entertainment purposes only, but you know we did have a nice little 3-0 week last week, and hopefully we'll have similar success this week. Hopefully you enjoyed the little early release here. I think I'm going to continue to do that on Fridays, release early now that we don't have Thursday Night Football to review. Rate, review the pod, give me some feedback on the YouTube channel. I check that or go ahead and hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Otherwise, I'll be talking with you guys and also with Ben Brown here with me uh, on Tuesday. Talk to you then.